little things happen, but nothing big. So like, it must have been today. Today, an electrician comes into my office to turn in his work orders. An electrician that I've never met before. And he says, my name is so-and-so. And he sticks out his hand to shake my hand. And I go to shake, I grab his hand and shake it. Is he touching a live current with his other hand? (laughs) (laughs) And these are guys who've been, it's hot outside. It's been hot outside the past couple of days in the like mid eighties. These are guys who work outside in sewer pump stations that are not air conditioned. Right. Okay. And I shake his hand and his hand is ice cold. Like I've, I half expected to look down and for his hand to be like completely black with frostbite. <laughs> like I was shaking the hand of like the um, the guys from Game of Thrones. White Walkers. The White Walkers. His hand was, it was like he'd been storing it in a bucket of ice or something. <laughs> it was so weird, but that was pretty much it. That's well, if he pulled out ice cubes from his pocket, he's like, I, I usually <laughs> keep these in here, keep me cold, cool. Yeah. And then the other thing that happened is... There's a cleaning crew. There's a, cl- a cleaning crew that that cleans our office every day, and they're contracted out. Right? They don't work for the city, and so then on every Friday they have a supervisor that comes in and just does like a walkthrough of the building to I guess make sure everything is in order. And I've been at this. I've been in this office for two years now, and this supervisor that walks around has been coming into my office every Friday for two years, but he's just now deciding to get like really friendly with me for some reason. So he's this short Indian guy, probably like mid 40s, early 50s. And so last week, what did he say? Oh, okay. So last week he comes to my office and he's like, uh, you know, how, hey, how's it going? I'm like, good. Uh, how are you? And he goes, oh, you know, same old, same old. And I'm like, yeah. And he goes, um, I wrote it down because it was so weird what he said I had to write it down. It was not weird. It just is like, um, he said, you know, just doing the same hours. And I was like, okay. And then he like looks at me and he's starting to get this grin on his face. And he goes, I say doing and not working because it's like a prison. <laughs> and he just walks out. <laughs> <laughs> I was kind of like, oh, good lord, that's depressing. <laughs> that took that's a dark funny. turn. <laughs> yeah. I hope it's a uh, white collar prison. Yeah. So that was two weeks ago. And then last week he comes in. He's like, you know, hey, how's it going? And I'm like, good. And he goes, he looks at me and goes, you look different. Did you change something? And I was like, no, I don't think so. <laughs> And he's like rubbing his face and goes, you shaved, didn't you? I think you shaved. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I, I shaved. I shave every now and then. Uh, and he goes, okay, well, you know, keep a clean shaven face, start working out, take care of yourself, get some six pack abs. Uh, you start feeling really good about yourself. And I was like, all right, thanks. And then he like pauses again and like turns like he's going to walk out. And then he turns back to me. He's like, wait a minute. Are you married? And I was like, yeah. And he goes, oh, forget about the six pack then. <laughs> he walks out. <laughs> I was like, this guy is like trying out his stand up routine on me. That's or exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> I was like, he's got like he's setting himself up <laughs> and he's got like the knockout you know, punchline for you at the yeah. end. 
the he's unveiling that's yeah. uh that's special so yeah now i kind of look forward to it i mean super nice guy well yeah you should and, as, and i don't really have anything have to do anything right i just have to kind of be myself and let him go with it yeah just every day there's gonna be a new new surprise yeah so that's that's about it that's all i really had <laughs> man that's great that's better than what i've been dealing with in the last two weeks which is basically a an increase in road rage as i get older oh really yeah which i think is weird yeah real quick i saw the other when yesterday when I, we were driving somewhere and i saw somebody with this huge suv drive by and they had this sticker on the back of their window and it said like what did it say um he said it says i don't practice road rage but because of you, I've perfected it. And then it says like, blah, 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 gun club. <laughs> and I'm like, geez, right. This guy's like part of some gun association. Like, shouldn't you guys be like on the laying low right now? <laughs> That's my, not really the image you want to be putting out right about now. I think. One of my favorite things are reading everybody's bumper stickers. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw one the other day and I can't remember what it was but it was something like jesus saves and then like right underneath almost like it's connected it's like guns don't kill people i do or whatever and i'm like so which one of those came before the other right (laughs) Right. i mean are you now killing people (laughs) for jesus or um i don't i don't get it um but I mean, I don't know. Have you experienced this? The older you get, the more kind of the way people drive stands out to you more as an annoyance. It's as always a life. stood out to me. It doesn't really bother me in any way. It never used to bother me. I was like, whatever, you know. Um, but now that I'm older, I don't know why I'm like, I get really frustrated. Mm-hmm. And I actually got sucked into a little black hole of watching this guy has this like YouTube where he puts together, like he drives around with a dash cam or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then he like cut together his, a year's worth of bad drivers. Mm -hmm. And then he did one that was like bad drivers get their just desserts or whatever, Mm -hmm. you know? And it's like, it was so satisfying (laughs) to see like somebody just like, you know, whip around somebody and then get pulled over immediately or whatever, yeah. you know? And I just haven't seen that. And I guess that's what I need. I just need to see somebody come to justice. Right. Then I'll be okay. Mm-hmm. But having said that, on the way over here, I ended up running two red lights, like really <laughs> bad red lights. I drove for about a mile with my left turn signal on yeah. before I realized it. <clears throat> and so I think this whole drive here tonight, was a testament that I need to, you know, like get the plank out of my own eye kind of thing. But at the same time, I'm so frustrated by other people driving, and I never used to be that way. Yeah, see, that's what stops me from getting frustrated is because I know I make all of those same mistakes, at least occasionally, for the most part. Now, really egregious stuff, it is, like, annoying. But the thing that bothers me the most is all of these is... um, you're constantly seeing people, especially here on Damneck, riding their bikes on the road. And mm-hmm. it's not like Damneck is a huge road, or at least parts of it. And there's 
enormous bike paths on both sides of the road. And as some and I've started riding my bike to work again. It just is like like I understand the appeal of riding on the road. It's kind of like less you have to deal with less. But at the same time, it's so annoying to people who are riding on the road. It's just like just get on the bike path. You know what I mean? Right. Like, it's not making that big of a difference for you. You know what I mean? I saw somebody riding against traffic the other morning. Yeah. That's like a huge no no, right? right? Yeah. That's like and uh I, I've gotten to the point in my life where I just want to yell out my window, not because I know no one will hear me, but it'll make <laughs> me feel better. And I just like the idea of somebody riding and hearing like, <laughs> as they ride by, just so you know, like somebody has this. start doing that. I'll just start yelling at people like not not whole phrases right. I'll just kind of gutturally just the primal scream. just a primal yeah and I'll make it extra guttural I'll just right. kind of like ah! <laughs> <laughs> yeah um okay so this is the last time I will talk about this on the podcast but I was watching Frozen again and we have recently been watching a bootleg copy of Frozen Fever because that's What's the, that? it's a short that Disney released before Cinderella, I think it was. Elise and I, Cinderella. Elise and I went to go see a movie and we got there a little early, mm-hmm. like 30 minutes before. Oh, it follows. I took Elise back to see mm-hmm. it follows. And we walked into Cinderella mm-hmm. because I knew there was a short and we watched like two minutes of it. Yeah. And then we walked up. So this is my biggest issue with it is the so I already have an issue with the attitude that the princesses have. Right. This like ungrateful attitude that I feel like they have or at least um, Anna. Right. And then in Frozen Fever, you see that <laughs> I think Hans is his name. Right. The bad guy. The bad guy it's still in it. The bad guy, yeah. That okay, exactly. He's in it for two seconds and he's living out his punishment, right? After living a life of crime, I guess. Guess what his punishment is? Um something to do with collecting ice. He's a farmer. Oh. Right? How insulting is that to farmers? I mean, does he seem to not like it or like he's it? He's sh- literally shoveling shit on a farm. Right? It's like, how elitist is that? You have these these women who all they care about of them is themselves and throwing parties, and she's complaining about this terrible life she has, even though there's thousands of people like worshiping her outside of this gated-off castle that they live in. And then you get this guy who's a bad guy, and his punishment is to live as a farmer? I mean, you know what I mean? What kind of message is that sending? I'm not engaging. All right. I'm just <laughs> I don't blame you. <laughs> All right, so let's move on. Something I did actually watch. Um something I wa- I voluntarily watched 
this week was Shia LaBeouf's. So Shia LaBeouf, I guess, did this. I guess it's like a reel. I'm not exactly sure what it was, but I logged into Reddit today and all of a sudden I start seeing all of these um, Shia LaBeouf's do it in whatever, these mashup videos, right? And there are these videos like from Seven or from uh, Space Audit 2001 or some guy made his own video. And in all of them, there's Shia LaBeouf like flexing and yelling like a motivational speech, right? He's just yelling, do it, basically. And they're really funny. So then I try and figure out where this video is from. And I guess he did some sort of collaboration with some guys um, for, like, I guess it's an acting reel, but it's a 30-minute long reel of him just doing mini monologues on a green screen, right? And it's under... um, the creative commons license. So anybody can take the footage and do with it, whatever they want. I guess that's the point. And so that's what all everybody's doing, but it's not, I mean, it's, it's not interesting in any way. Mm-hmm. Like the monologues themselves, the, the motivational one is, is funny. It's really funny. Uh, but I think the most interesting about it is Shia LaBeouf himself. Like if this was just an acting student doing all this stuff, There'd be nothing spectacular about it. What makes it stand out and what makes it interesting is Shia LaBeouf, right? So I feel like the conversation should be more about him than about the video itself. But part of what makes it uh, compelling is like, at this point, I don't think anybody knows who Shia LaBeouf is or like what he's doing. So I don't know what in the video is supposed to be like intentionally funny. I don't know what is supposed to be serious. I don't know what is off the cuff or what is written. You know what I mean? Um, But I would recommend, I mean, it's 30 minutes long and it's kind of a long time to watch something like that. But if you've got 30 minutes, I would, I would say watch it. But like, what is your general, at this point, what is, what is your general opinion on Shia LaBeouf after all of his, plagiarism stuff his apology stunt his um conversion to christianity <laughs> like his 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 uh stint on on fury where like he like wasn't shape he wasn't uh, bathing right right and then he like <laughs> drink his own pee or something something like that <laughs> you know i feel like it's um <clears throat> I feel like he is the poster boy of his generation, whether he cares about it or not, whether he even knows it or Mm -hmm. not, where that's how I view people from his generation. They are just like, they have so much information Mm -hmm. and so much access to whatever, right? Rich, um, that I think he's just like flailing kind of mm-hmm. like artistically where it's just like everything's permissible. So why not literally do everything? So and do, you, do you give him any credibility at all? Do you think like, I mean, yeah, I guess that's why I was, I haven't thought, so I'm trying to think about him critically in this moment. And I would say that he's aware mm-hmm. of what he's doing. I think he's self-aware. Mm-hmm. I don't think anything that he's done has been, you know, kind of, 
without purpose. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Having said that, I just feel like, you know, we've developed to such a stage where media criticism can get to the point where it's at now with Shia LaBeouf. Like, basically what he was saying is everything is in our internet age is basically like free domain. Mm-hmm. Like you release it. I then have the right to adapt that to what I want to make it. And he's exploring in that area. Right. Which is why the plagiarism thing was kind of, I think it rolled off his back. Right. I mean, he took some flack for it, but now he's pretty much recovered. I mean, that's the question. On. That's the, that, has he moved on? Like that, that's kind of the question. And that's what I think what makes this so interesting is like, especially the fact that it's called introductions, like, who is he at this yeah, point? But, but you it's know like, I mean? it's, I'm not there, right? It's Joaquin yeah. Phoenix. It's, it's, and I just feel like, but the one, but I'm not there to me, at least was more see-through as an act. Yeah. But, but I think, I think all of that's springing out of a whole culture of like Kardashian culture, yeah. right? Where who, who is Kim Kardashian, right? Who is Kanye West? You know, like, Shia LaBeouf is a product of that milieu. Yeah. And it's like, who are our celebrities, period? We have all this access, and yet we have no access at all. Mm-hmm. You know? I mean, you know, we debated for mm, about a year on Krispy Kreme, uh-huh. the rapper. <laughs> right. Was he self-aware? Now known as Froggy Fresh. Now known as Froggy Fresh, right. and now known as, as an actor. Basically. Right, yeah, as you know? an actual rapper who was just doing a joke thing. Right, he was yeah. just doing a joke thing. And it's like, so all of those people I think you can summarize in Shia LaBeouf, you know, mm-hmm. I guess is what I'm trying to say. He is using his celebrity and his fame, whether he knows it or not, to almost perfectly encapsulate everybody from elements of Kanye West to Froggy Fresh mm-hmm. to Britney Spears you know, to Kim Kardashian, mm-hmm. right? Are any of them real? Are any of them, how aware are they? Mm-hmm. And are they good artists? And I think on some of them you could say, yeah. You know, Shia LaBeouf is a good actor. Mm-hmm. And Kanye West is a good rapper. Yeah. Now answer the thousand other questions about them. Right, you know? yeah. And uh, I forgot to mention that in the video he has an incredibly long uh, braided rat tail and his eyebrow is pierced. I, I think the rat tail is the single most repulsive. Have you seen it? Well, I've seen rat tails. Oh, like, okay. I'm just talking about rat tails in general. Right. I, I don't think that there's a more physically repulsive kind of what you want to call it fashion. Yeah. It's not even fashion, just something on it. I'd rather look at a growth, like a, like a boil. <laughs> Than a rat tail, even it doesn't yeah. matter if it's a small little pinky rat tail or a long one. I think they are the most disgusting things on it's, the human body. It is definitely a very bizarre choice. Even if we're talking about like purposefully bizarre choices, I feel like a rat tail <laughs> and it, it takes a lot more commitment than more yeah. than anything else, yeah. right? Because his is long. That's disgusting. Yeah, it's it's really weird looking. Uh, anyways, something so something uh, so I watched the documentary called on HBO called Thought Crimes. Yeah, yeah, I heard kind of a middling review on it. I was uh-huh. interested in it for a while, and then I was like, mm-hmm. 
I liked it. Oh, the I heard think I heard the same review on Slash Filmcast. I yeah, can't remember sure. what they said about it now, but it was something like he said that it just kind of didn't go into or didn't ask the necessary questions. It was just kind of introducing this idea, and then it didn't really do anything with the with the premise of like, can you be held liable for your thoughts? Yeah. Uh, Why well, I would disagree with that? I, for me, the the only real complaint I have, and I think this might be just the the nature of making a documentary is it's almost like, um, kind of the Andrew Jarecki style of filmmaking Mm -hmm. where it's like, you start off with this set of facts and you formed an opinion and then it's like, Oh, but wait, here's this set of facts and that Mm -hmm. changes your opinion. And then it's like, Oh, but here's another set of, you know what I mean? And it keeps kind of going back and forth like that. So that's a little frustrating, but, Overall, it it does really for me at least. It really makes you think about like f- what is freedom of speech. What is you know what is intent and what is just sort of fantasizing or joking around or whatever. Um, but I liked it a lot. I would re- now. It's definitely not for the squeamish. Like there's a lot of really disturbing stuff in it. Right. Just in terms of like your reading chat conversation. Right. And, and, and the premise is that a police officer engaged right. in fantasies of killing and eating people, including his wife. Right. And including people he knew and people that he then used police databases to look up information on. Yeah. And it goes into detail and there's a lot of rape talk. Right. But he didn't actually, to anyone's knowledge, do any of this right it no, was he didn't, all he, yeah he, no he didn't do just any of chat it. right and so the case is about is there enough evidence here to say he was going to do this and can we charge him on that and so yeah it's the basic concept is uh, can you be uh charged or arrested for thought crimes or it or was this a thought crime basically um and the case is still ongoing so there's no real resolution to it but it's an interesting look and like i said it really goes back it really takes you back and forth some of that is because it's just as presenting some of the facts at you know spread out intervals but some of it too is like i mean ultimately i i fall on the, the ultimately what you're deciding as a juror it is beyond reasonable doubt right right and in no um at, at no at no minute of this documentary was I thinking beyond a reasonable doubt that he was going to do these things. So I would have to say not guilty, right? See, I, I feel like you could use his case as a test on if you're a sociopath or not. Uh-huh. I think you are some percentage of sociopath. Uh-huh. There's no way I could sit on the jury and disassociate myself from what he was doing. I could only think... If he said this about me, if Mm -hmm. he said this about my wife, I would want him in jail for the rest of his life because all it takes is one night of I've talked about enough. I've researched enough. I have to eat somebody. Yeah. Then my life is is destroyed. And so the fact that he went and looked up where people lived in like a database to me is enough to say like, there's no way I could sit on the jury and be like, Hmm, 
reasonable doubt, I'd be like, no, that if that was my wife, done. Get him in, lock him up. Yeah, Let him fantasize. But about I mean, other that's the point. But, but okay, so so when? But when does that? Where is that line at? Well, right. What, so does that does that line include someone who's angry at work and writes an angry email to somebody? I'm not saying I'm right. I'm saying this is a test. But to I'm see asking you how, how sociopathic so you, you are. Where does it? But this is the thing too. This is the thing with the addresses that they point out at like this. This documentary is like I'll say 50 minutes long. At like minute 48, this point they point <laughs> this out. It, for the people that he looked up in the database. There was at minimum a six month gap in between him looking them up and then him starting to chat about doing stuff to them. And where if there's a six month break between him going and showing up at their house and peeking in a window. All right. And what if there's a six month gap? But he didn't do that. Okay, exactly. Exactly. So where's the line? Well well look, I'm I'm prefacing this all with I'm not saying that that's the right attitude to have. I'm saying for me, that's the human kind of yeah, aspect no, I understand of this that. where I don't, I wouldn't, I'd either need to recuse myself or I'd need to make it very clear, you know, <laughs> you're putting me on here as a biased juror because I can't separate my empathy for the people he was fantasizing about mm-hmm. from the actual legal argument of, is he responsible for his, for his fantasies? Um, to me, I like to think them very open-minded, mm-hmm. but I don't know that I could be with this, especially mm-hmm. because what I've been going through is somebody who potentially over the last few weeks has shown an intent to break into my, to where yeah. I live. Yeah. And experiencing somebody who's shown even the slightest intent to break in has completely kind of messed me up you know emotionally about this sure and uh and so yeah intent is enough for me being being separated from one piece of wood from somebody who wants something that i have or someone is enough to be like i want them to be tried as if they broke in here if they get caught sure and i don't disagree with that but even that is far removed from what this guy actually did. I mean, I mean, you know, I guess I would say to you, maybe hopefully to close this out is to say, (laughs) not a chance. If, if you found out that there was a police officer who was writing about your family Mm -hmm. in those terms, using their names. So, you know, you know, he's fantasizing about them Mm -hmm. and he gets arrested are you then not as a member of the jury, but just as a member of the public, are you pushing for him to be prosecuted to the full extent of the law based on his using your family members in his fantasies? Of Yeah, of course. I mean, but, but that doesn't, I don't think that that means uh, I, what to me, what that means is he should, Lose his job, of course. He should go be a farmer. I think <laughs> yeah, is, what, exactly. is what we would agree. Exactly. On. He should lose his job. He should not be a police officer. He should serve whatever penalty the law requires for the misuse of a police database. But that's it. Outside of that, I, to me, I don't see the guy as anything more than a creep. You know what I mean? Like, 
would you would you be on edge? Of course, absolutely. Okay. My gut reaction to this guy is the same as yours, right? Okay. Like my immediate gut reaction to the whole thing is just the guy is a weirdo. Put him in jail. I don't care. You know what I mean? But at the same time, I can't. Like, if we hold the internet to that standard, you're going to have to put, like, 50% of the people in there on jail. Because everybody does crazy things on the internet. Did you listen to, there's a Love and Radio episode, maybe two episodes back, where they basically profiled a, like, BDSM woman? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and she basically will facilitate people's fantasies Mm -hmm. and kind of over the phone and stuff like that. And I walked away from that thinking, and they and they asked the question of like, do you think these guys really do what they talk about? And she's like, no, yeah. absolutely not. This is this is totally in their minds, and there's no way what they say to me is accurate, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but she still admits she's like, I wouldn't be doing this if I didn't get paid as much as mm-hmm. I do, you know. And so I think that's kind of. That that's the reaction that I have towards this guy and towards people like that, where it's like, I don't know what made you turn out that way. Mm-hmm. And it maybe it's a very thin line between me being who I am and then me fantasizing about something weird. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad that I, for whatever reason, fell on this side of the fence. Right. But I just don't want those people around me. Like... You know what I mean? I feel bad, right? I feel no, bad. No, I, I understand. No, I understand. But at the same time, it just is like, it to me, it's not that far removed from, you know, people of the of an older generation thinking kids that play video games all the time are lazy idiots man i mean it's not that far removed i mean i feel like the concept is the same yeah as long as this guy is not harming anybody which he never did it's kind of like you know it's like uh what's that uh tom cruise movie minority report right it's like where does where does that line stop once you start saying well you were thinking about doing this we're putting you in jail I don't you know, know. When as does that stop? As, as soon as you have records of planning, right? So if somebody... Well, that, you, that's you, what the whole case is about. Right, right. Because you could be arrested for Conspiracy. terrorist plots, right? right. And, and people have been arrested for plotting school shootings where they draw, they've draw they drawn a map of the school right. and, and their path through it, right? Have they actually pulled the trigger or done anything? No, but that's right. prosecutable. Sure. And so <clears throat> I feel like... I feel like there is a delineation between the love and radio people and this guy mm-hmm. in the sense that the love and radio people are mainly interested in sexual kind of fantasies mm-hmm. that don't really go into as explicit detail on the violence that this cop did. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's that's a careful distinction that maybe. I would like to explore that maybe it has to do with the violence inherent in the fantasy mm-hmm. versus something that you could still say is a private matter of, uh, they got a weird sexual thing, but that's their thing versus this guy who has an outward violent aspect to what he's fantasizing. Okay. So, and this may be 
completely unsensical. But you mean nonsensical? Nonsensical. As nonsensical as exactly. you're exactly as so what is the difference between this cop role playing fantasy, right? This fantasy violence on on real people. What's the difference between that and on a selfishness and frozen? Right. And you know, let's say something like some of the story arcs in Robert Kirkman's The Walking Dead, the graphic novel. Oh yeah, the, where no, children are being beheaded, yeah. or a uh, uh, bad guy exists and he gets like taken apart limb by limb. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. how is that any different? Yeah, I'm gonna. That, that's a good question. I'm gonna talk a little bit about that. I think in our what I've been reading section, but to me, I think that there's something about when you when you put something like and and I won't go down this rabbit hole but I think it has to do with art right so your definition of art or whatever you create and then turn out to the world right is something that changes the aspect of what you're creating he wasn't creating anything for consumption of anybody else but himself right and the person he's chatting with and the and the person he's chatting with mm-hmm to me, if Kirkman was writing these things only for himself or to one other person with no kind of artistic merit or intention for it, then I would probably be reacting to him the same way that I'm reacting to this cop. Mm-hmm. But I think that there's something in the art, moving what you create in your mind, your fantasies or whatever, into an artistic realm that is validation and maybe it's because you're moving it into the light of day. Other people are then able to view it and weigh it, weigh its value. Mm -hmm. And if it is thrown back in your face as deplorable, which human centipede three just came out and it's getting (laughs) thrown back in that filmmaker's face as deplorable, Right. right? Then that's, that's a litmus test. The fact that the walking dead has transcended that in popular culture and been accepted means that there is something more to it than just one man's sick fantasies being played out against one other person uh-huh. or or just with themselves. Yeah. Well, I don't necessarily agree with that just because, as a quick example, of the Black Eyed Peas song that's being played during the NBA Finals now. Like, that is something that's been it. accepted and is popular. The lyrics are just like, this is awesome. Yeah, this is yeah. awesome. No, <laughs> no, no. Like, no. Right. Well, I'm not saying that's validating good art. I'm saying right. that, that that as a moral litmus test, it's a good one. Mm. It's a good one to basically, if the if the question is what is what I've created, does it have moral value? Mm-hmm. The best way to check that is to give it back to your community and say, <clears throat> here's what I've created. You can value this as a at, on its morality. And they can send it back to you and be like, you know what? That's actually really anti-Semitic and that's wrong. (laughs) You should not have written that, right? And then you go, ooh, yikes, I didn't realize that or whatever, right? So, I mean, that's what I'm talking. I'm not saying that it's validating as good. I'm saying as a moral litmus test, the fact that the popular culture has accepted it means that in terms of your community, it has moral value of of some regard, right? 
not saying that that's even a global standard or even like a religious standard, mm-hmm. right? It's not saying because your community accepts this, that that whatever activity you're engaging in is then right in, in all, in the eyes of everybody. But, you know, Kirkman released that to <clears throat> the graphic novel reading community and they gave a resounding, for whatever reason, yeah. A-OK. What if they're just a group of degenerates? Well, I mean, but that's what I'm saying. Like, popular culture is is a better sign, right? Mm-hmm. The, the further it gets out, the more you can say. Now, there are some people who morally object to it, you know? Mm-hmm. And, so, and so I think you can still have those conversations. But I don't know if this guy said, hey, I've released this book of poetry of my fantasies. Right. Read this. That the popular culture would then read and be like, yeah, moral value. Right. Totally see it. They'd be like, you're sick. Yeah. All right, well, the last things... I will say about this documentary is there are two things that I found sort of unexplicably strange to me above everything else in this really disturbing, strange documentary. The first one is that there are like um, recreation inserts throughout the documentary of this guy sitting in front of his computer and smirking. Oh, and it's the guy and it's the guy. Like uh, recreating these these moments, and it's just like, oh, why would you agree to that? Seems like such a weird thing to ask w- him to do. Yeah, it seems like a weird thing for him to agree to do. I was right? the outtakes of like, you really don't look disturbed enough. Yeah, we really it's need you. Very to subtle, more. right? It's him oh. sitting in front, and then he just gets this very his, the corners of his mouth like subtly tweak upwards, uh. like. Ugh. And then the other thing is. He has a daughter, like a newborn baby daughter, or maybe she's a couple years old, but very, very young. And and this could just be a byproduct of editing, because like I said, the documentary is short. It's like, I think, an hour and 20 minutes long at the most. But he does not talk about her once, right? It never once does he say, like, I can't wait to see my daughter again. He says things like, um, like he at one point he's on house arrest, and he's like, man, I was thinking about going out this weekend. But he can't do. But I can't do that now. But never once at one any moment in this documentary does he talk about his kid or how much he misses his kid. And I just found that to be strange. I have one final question, then we can move on. Is he apologetic at all? Yeah, yeah, he seems apologetic, and that's the other thing. He's kind of a cipher. He really doesn't bring much to the table. Right. He definitely says the standard, you know, this was really stupid. I don't know what I was thinking. But he doesn't seem completely genuine or disingenuous about anything. He just seems pretty much like a blank Blank canvas. Okay. So that's... uh, that I think it, I'm pretty sure it's called Thought Crimes, right? Thought Crimes, yeah. the case of the cannibal cop, something like that. And it's on HBO now. Um, you watched a movie, a movie yeah. called Welcome to Me. Yes. So I watched Welcome to Me. I'll be I'll be brief. Um, basically, it stars Kristen Wiig. It, it stars a bunch of people: Joan Cusack, um, Wes Bentley, uh, and James Marsden. Mm-hmm. Are some of the main ones. Linda Cardellini's in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and Kristen Wiig plays somebody who has dissociative personality disorder, I think. Mm-hmm. And, you know, really serious mental illness. She wins the lottery and she's obsessed with Oprah and she wants her own talk show. 
like Oprah. Mm-hmm. But what it turns out to be is just this really weird show of her recreating moments in her life where she's getting like these amateur actors in to play roles of people in her life. And it's like weirdly confessional and bizarre. And it kind of catches on on this like niche group Mm -hmm. of people who start to realize like, you know, what she's doing and questioning, you know, is this some kind of weird performance artist or is this lady really sick? And we're getting like little insights into her Mm -hmm. and in tonally, it feels like somebody tried to combine a funeral with like a baby shower in one event. (laughs) They're like, we can both honor this person who died and I think we can celebrate a life to come. I think we should do it all in this one event. And you just can't do it, right? And I appreciate more than anybody this genre-bending kind of movie culture that we've moved into where people are trying different things, saying, can I combine, you know, a monster movie with, a, like, the host, right? A monster movie with a family drama and a, co- a straight-up comedy, right? Um I normally love movies like that, but Welcome to Me has this really bizarre tone of trying to portray mental illness in some kind of real Mm -hmm. light while also falling back on old story cliches where just like people who can't drive well, I'm also getting tired of films where you have somebody like, like the beaver with well with, with Mel Gibson mm-hmm. or, or a lot of stories that deal with mental illness. You usually have a long-term character that's been with that person that when the person like goes off their meds or starts acting more and more bizarre, they get frustrated and then they like sever the relationship and I'm supposed to like care. But I'm like Linda Cardellini plays her childhood friend and it's like Kristen Wiig and like they're now in their forties, maybe, you know, early forties, late thirties. Mm-hmm. And now that she's off her meds and has her own TV show, all of a sudden, Linda Cardellini's like, oh, I can't deal with this. How does she get her own TV show? Is it like a public access show? She goes to public access and she, yeah, she, she sees somebody who's doing like a infomercials and she crashes and she's basically, Mm -hmm. I'll give you millions of dollars, produce my show. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and it's like her friend gets upset because she, she calls her fat in one of her sketches or whatever. And it's like, that's the breaking point. And I was like, wait, you've been friends with somebody for decades who's had disassociative personality disorder and they never once pissed you off as much as kind of referring to you as fat. And she's calling Linda Cardellini fat? Exactly, which which is also <laughs> like all you have to do is be like, you're... You're and, crazy. Exactly. I didn't want to say that. But yeah, and be like, you're crazy. Yeah. And, and I just, I want to be like, if you want to take it seriously, right? If you want to take these issues seriously, then you have to have the people around them take them seriously too. Yeah. You know, and you can't have like a close friend who seemingly doesn't even understand the basic like um, nature of the disease that her best friend has, you know? And so I, as a viewer to start watching, I'm like, wait, is this like some kind of buildup that I haven't seen over decades? Because they're not referencing anything other than this one slight that she just can't. And then like, she's not concerned with her life anymore because she has her TV show. Right. And I'm like, 
wow, welcome to my life. Like, I don't know many <laughs> friends who are just like moment to moment really wanting to know everything about my life. Yeah. Especially somebody who's mentally ill and who I know is off their meds. And she's like encouraging her early on. Stuff like that drives me crazy. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, I mean, you know, if you want to commit, then commit, right? Mm-hmm. But don't commit in some ways and then kind of pull back in this other way and fall back on a movie cliche so you can wrap your movie up in 90 minutes and be be done. Yeah. It really just felt like they ran out of runway or money or whatever and like, okay, let's wrap it up. It's really talented people who are involved. I think Kristen Wiig does a great job, but I just ended up feeling really unsatisfied by it. Who's the director by? It's directed by actually Jerry, Jeremy Piven's sister. Oh, really? Yeah. And 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 she's married to to another celebrity that I'm blanking on. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's like it's her first film. It's a really bad title too. Welcome to me. Yeah, that's the name of her show. Okay, so it's supposed to be a bad title, right? Right. It's supposed to be a title made by somebody who's disassociative. Okay. Yeah, because it's like the it's the kind of title where it's like I would expect to open up like a. 13 year old's diary right and for it to be like welcome to me oh perfect that's exactly it actually oh okay yeah well there you go it is kind of her opening up her diary and being like this is it okay one for me yeah uh you also watch project almanac which that sounds really familiar it's a found footage film okay so again this is during it's about my superpowers yes okay. no 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 it's oh, about okay. time travel you're thinking of chronicle yes um this is when I was keeping vigil and I, I have to watch dumb movies to keep me engaged. Mm-hmm. Dumber movies keep me more engaged than <laughs> right. actually really engaging movies sometimes, yeah. especially when it's really late at night. And Project Almanac, all I want to say about it basically is if you want to do a found footage film, I think people need to stop trying to be so ambitious mm-hmm. with their found footage films, Right. I think what they're doing is they're getting these ambitious ideas and they're selling their idea short by trying to make them found footage Mm -hmm. because found footage only works in a few settings. And I think we have decades of film to prove this, right? Mm -hmm. You are either stuck in one location. So paranormal activity, at least the first one, there are some that really don't work, but at least that premise works. We are in this house. Largely, people are not grabbing a camera and being like, all right, let's go see that noise, mm-hmm. you know, and and then investigating. They ran to the woods. Now let's run to the woods with them, you mm-hmm. know, whatever. And I feel like any found footage film is going to run into that. They're going to run out of that ramp really quickly. Mm-hmm. And then you just get into stupid land where somebody's like, I'm in fear of my life. I need to make sure this light's on. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, somebody's chasing me, but I need to make sure that I don't shake this camera too much mm-hmm. to make me sick when I watch this later on after right. I know I'm, I'm going to survive. So Project Almanac is like done really, really slickly. You know, it's produced really slickly. Mm-hmm. But it gets so stupid that you just, it loses any kind of, coherence or for me as an audience any suspension of disbelief we're finally like oh gosh like why does he have his stupid camera on in Mm -hmm. this scene it doesn't make any sense whereas Blair Witch Project it all makes sense right or somebody in a house you're containing it to one experience Mm -hmm. or one house you're not saying "Ooh, could we do found footage with space and time travel and 
dinosaurs. Let's try it all, right? right? And then it's like, no, you're going to lose in your ambition. You're going to lose the the boundaries of the found footage film. Mm -hmm. So either scale down to the size of where found footage works or have your ambitious idea and don't make it a found footage film, right? Mm -hmm. I think... I think the dividing line has been drawn and Project Almanac is sitting squarely in the middle. And that's that's the line at which you say, if your idea is ambitious enough to involve time travel in the way that this film does, don't make it found footage. Are there dinosaurs in this movie? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm just saying, you know. Uh-huh. I feel like people will be trying to do that very soon, you know, in the trajectory of where yeah. found footage film is going. Sure. Oh, we're, soon we're going to get just a dra- a straight drama found uh-huh. footage. Watch this marriage dissolve, <laughs> all all from the perspective of right. people recording themselves. <laughs> yeah. So, been trying to get back into reading. So, went to the um, library, picked up some books, and went to um, local heroes. Local heroes, and I actually went off of the recommended table. Oh, really? Because I went looking for one. Uh, novel in particular and they didn't have it or not that I could see so I didn't know what else to get and I picked up one that I wasn't it didn't, I don't know why I picked it up mm-hmm. but then I saw this and I was like oh this looks good so I picked it up and it's basically it's called Revival did you get more of a grunt from the, more than a grunt from a sit from the salesperson yeah I actually got one of the workers who I I think you can tell that he really likes his job mm-hmm. and it's in the way that he bags the comic books. <laughs> like he takes great care in right. sliding it into their little paper bag and like presenting it to you. Yeah. So no, he was actually more engaging than well, good than, than I've gotten before. But um, yeah, so, so I went off the table and picked this. It's from image. So they make good stuff. Normally. Yeah. They've been doing well lately. So, I picked it up and it turns out I knew nothing about it. Mm-hmm. It turns out that it's a zombie book. So exactly, exactly. As soon as I saw the word zombie, mm-hmm. I was like, oh no, I made a huge mistake. <laughs> now, what's interesting is there are two narratives, zombie narratives, mm-hmm. that have been happening in the last few years. One is The Walking Dead, and the other one is The Returned. Have you seen The Returned? It's I've a French, never even heard of it. It's on Netflix. And actually, it's great. Oh, really? It really is great. I would highly recommend... Is um, it subtitled? Yes. <laughs> I think I think I have my new recommendation. Um, but The Returned basically says, these people died, now they came back. But at least initially or right now, they don't seem to want to eat you. They're just, the dead have returned. Mm -hmm. So how do you deal with that? Okay. In Revival, they're zombies, but they're not yet wanting to eat people at all. Mm -hmm. And they seem to be normal. But there's also violent things happening around, and there's like a ghost that's walking around now too that's apparently been awakened. Mm -hmm. And this... Um, and the villain of the story, at least in the first collection, was this guy who made a living kind of um, doing exorcisms. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he doesn't really believe whatever. But now that this is all happening, he's like 
gone crazy and he's trying to capture this ghost who he thinks is a demon and um and it actually is interesting i like the way that it's structured because what they're doing is because this is all happening in this town the town's been quarantined and so they're jumping around vignette basically doing vignette so mm. and it's very cinematic and i love films that way where Maybe there's something happening in a town, but there are people in a coffee house who are just not aware of what's going on. And then you just go to the other side of town and somebody's being chased by a by a ghost or whatever. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and in this, there's something wrong with these people, but you don't know what it is yet other than they, they won't die. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I'm actually, I'm actually liking it. Now, getting back to what you're saying before about The Walking Dead and the fantasies of that, mm-hmm. I try and read a lot of different books and graphic novels. I try not to just sit in one genre, you know, and I appreciate it all. I like the more artistic, thoughtful, nothing's going to happen, just read this, this is my experience or whatever, stories. But I also really do like genre stories, too. Um, and I probably lean more towards the genre than I do kind of the more introspective, you know, stories, uh, in balance. I, I do want genre to work out more. Um, I don't, I think I've reached my limit. Oh, really? <laughs> when you, you know, like I'm coming off sex criminals, uh-huh. revival, um, Manhattan projects, East of West, Right. All of these are really graphic in their content Mm -hmm. in different ways. Um, But I just feel like, is this the standard of storytelling in graphic novels now? Like, where you just have to indulge all of this darkness, Mm -hmm. you know? And and be bizarre as bizarre as you want, but just make sure that your bizarreness equals grotesqueness. Right. You know, I don't know. Like, I just feel like it's not that I have a moral objection to anything that I've read, but I just feel like the tone of these are pitched at such a level where I just want to be like, good Lord, don't you guys get (laughs) sick of like telling these stories? Like, Don't you ever just want to be like, here's a story about a flower right. that, that's trying to grow. Yeah. You know, I'm just going to tell it and, and no one's going to die. And, you know, it's just, it's just, it's wearying. Yeah. I'm not sure if you felt that with graphic novels lately. Well, I, I pretty much stick to, I haven't, I really haven't read anything outside in terms of graphic novels outside of Saga and Manhattan Projects. But even Saga and Manhattan yeah, Projects, right? It, it, like yeah, even Saga. Yeah. Well, no, and that's what I was going to say. You can throw Saga into that mix as well. But because I only read those two, and it's like I read them quarterly because that's when the trade paperbacks come out, it's kind of like I can deal with it for... And yeah, but there is stuff in it where it's just like you get you turn a page in Saga and one of the robot characters has like nothing but really explicit gay porn on his screen. And it's like, is this really necessary? (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, 
Yeah, but I, I'm not getting it as much because I'm only reading those two, really. But And even with Manhattan Projects, I don't know. There's something about that that is so in outer space that it just is like it doesn't bother me that much. Even though there is like pretty grotesque stuff and there's a lot of it is like aliens you know what i mean whereas there's cannibalism yeah that's true but even that is like the cannibalism in that is like you're watching you're basically watching this insane person's subconscious cannibalize itself you know as represented by different colors of his outward appearance of himself yeah of himself so no yeah and and i just i just don't know like and i guess what's hard for me is are are the more thoughtful stories like there's a there's a graphic novel called the sculptor which i'm really interested in where a guy basically makes a faustian deal Mm. to become a famous sculptor um, with the devil, but he only has X amount of time to live, you know, and they meets this girl and it's like, sounds very thoughtful, very interesting. I mean, I've read, um, sailor Twain is really good. Seconds, um, mm-hmm. blankets mm-hmm. is really good. Um, but when you grab those books, they don't do them in series like some of these other books, right? Saga revival, East of West, all yeah. that. So, Literally, I bought Revival for nine dollars. Mm-hmm. Sculptor selling for thirty five. Mm-hmm. So you know, what I mean, like, I feel like I either need to go in there with like fifty, sixty dollars to get two good books that I'm going to enjoy that aren't pitched at the level that these others are, or based on what I can afford, right? I'm just going to be reading. <laughs> you know, can, yeah, can, but I mean, and look, and it's not even that it's trash necessarily yeah. because Saga has a lot to say about relationships and family and, yeah. and it's, it's a well-told story. And I, I would say that for all of those that, that, that I read, but again, you know, like at the level that these are pitched at, I think is the, is the thing that I get to. Yeah. And I feel like maybe it's just like newfound freedom in the form that maybe I, I'm reading into, but I feel like people now have maybe the, maybe it's become more viable with like walking dead and people are like, Oh yeah, produce more graphic novels, Watchmen, right? People are now getting interested The people are getting more funding to do what they want. And, and what they want to do apparently is just like, you know, the most grotesque things that can come into their head. Mm-hmm. I just, you know, I guess I don't know how I'd feel, but I'd like to see like a Manhattan Projects where like nobody dies or gets eaten and no limbs get chopped off. Right. <laughs> and then go back to it. Yeah. Like give me a reprieve with these. I think a lot of it too might just be trying to distinguish the art form from other mediums, right? I know that's what s- some of the impetus behind Saga was. Brian K. Vaughan said like he wanted to make something that couldn't be um, translated into a movie project, into a trilogy or into a TV show. He wanted something that was uniquely of the format, basically. So I think some of it might be that as well. Okay. Um, I, I've actually been playing something besides Destiny these past two weeks, although I have also been playing a lot of Destiny, which I'll talk about. So in the past month or so, 
two um, old games, like old by a couple of years, have f- come out on the Xbox One. Two games that I w- have always been really interested. One of them is Ali Ali, um, the skateboard game, which originally came out for the Vita, I think, and has since gone to like everything else, and just now is coming out on the Xbox. And I'm I've always I've ever since Destiny's come out, I've kind of been looking for something that I can play for a couple minutes and then put down because I spend most of my time playing Destiny. And I was really hoping Ollie Ollie would be that, but I don't think it's going to be just because it is so demanding. It's so demandingly hard, right? And it the and it doesn't feel like after a couple games, I'm going to get the hang of this, right? Mm-hmm. It's a game that on the surface level, it seems like you should be able to just like pick it up and play it for five minutes, but it's actually more like um, trials where it's like, if I'm going to actually enjoy playing this and do anything playing this, I'm going to have to put hours into this game just to learn all the mechanics, learn all the moves, learn all the timing. So that's been a little bit of a disappointment. But the second game that just came out, I think, last week uh, is a game called Rogue Legacy. Have you heard of this game? Have you played it? No, I've I've been reading about it for months. I read a write-up on it a few months ago. Yeah. And it sounded really interesting. And then when I saw it on Xbox, I was like, oh, but um, we're moving. Um, Expendable money right now. So it's a couple years old. It, I think, came out for first. I think it came out first on Steam. Also, do do you think? I always fear with games like that that's going to be a free to play game in a month. Mm-hmm. And that, and, that, and that's my fear that yeah. I buy Rogue Legacy and then it's like free game of the month for uh, what's the next month? July, right? Rogue Legacy, and it's like, well, thanks, I just paid twelve dollars for it. But anyway, go yeah, on. potentially. But uh, Rogue Legacy is great, and. <laughs> I highly recommend you getting it if you can. Um, it's basically uh, it's basically Spelunky, right? So it's like you get one life and you're using this one life to explore a world and get as far as you can in that world. And the world is randomly generated every single time you play. But uh, unlike Spelunky, your character is also randomly generated every time you play. So you have different traits Um, and as far as I can tell, I've only played it a little bit so far, but as far as I can tell, some of the traits are purely cosmetic. Some of them actually change, affect the way you play. And some of them are just flavor text on a card. Like there's absolutely no difference whatsoever. Because every time you die, you become like your... Right. So every time you die, right, you become your descendant and your descendant will get certain traits and you just keep moving forward and you're trying to collect money so you can then um, level up different areas. But then every single time you go into the castle, you have to give whatever money you have left over to the I don't even know what he is, but there's a guy at the castle that you have to pay to get in. And he just says, if you want to come in, you have to give me all your money. So you might as well just spend it all before you get to him, if you can, to level everything up. But it's super fun. And it is something that, I mean, the only mechanic to it is like jump and attack 
and there's a special and sometimes there's a block. Like, but that's <laughs> it. So you're just running around trying to get as much money as you can. Um, there's bosses, but I haven't been able to beat any of the bosses yet. But it is something that I feel like I can sit down for 10 minutes at a time and eventually I'll have made some progress. That sounds great. Unlike with Ali Ali, like I told you, I bought it, I play, and I spent probably 40 minutes trying to get every single bullet point on the first on level. level one. And then I did the same thing, and I'm still on level two, and I don't have the all the bullet, all the stars or whatever. I, like, I see. Watching you play Ali Ali, I went back and forth because I actually like Trials. I've played all the Trials games. Yeah, I know you got frustrated with Trials. I actually just beat Trials officially on the Xbox One like last week, and I was going back and touching up anything that I didn't get a gold on, mm-hmm. and I saw you your ghost player on like you're there on like level one and two uh-huh. and then by three you're gone. Yeah. See, I can't do it. I have to, I have to get the gold or whatever is it on trials. And I like trials too, but I also have my limit with it and I have to get gold on every single level mm-hmm. and I can't go forward without, See, but, without but it. I feel like with trials it's the mechanic is easier. What scares me about Ali Ali is that you're pushing stuff for, um, tricks, and then you're also pushing buttons to land, right? right? And that, to me, like what I like about trials is, if I had a frustrating day or if I had 15 minutes or whatever, I could jump in and try a track or whatever, and be listening to a podcast or I, I could mindlessly be doing it. And I'm just trying to learn this mechanic to do this one thing in this level to get over it mm-hmm. to then finish it. And I can kind of do that mindlessly. Whereas I feel like Ali Ali is an, I have to be engaged because if I miss that landing, I've now screwed up my entire run and I need to restart it. So I'm like, I'm, I still really want to play it, Mm -hmm. but I'm scared that like you, I'm going to play 40 minutes of it and realize this isn't like, this is like trials. And then it's not in a very important way in that it's actually, difficult yeah. like all the way through difficult yeah i would i would definitely recommend rogue legacy over Ali. right uh so i've also been playing destiny so destiny had its big content update that everyone's been waiting for and along with it came a new multiplayer game mode called trials of osiris which it's just it, it's basically it runs from Friday to Monday, and it's more or less can be loosely defined as a tournament, although it's not like a structured tournament. But you you basically you get a you get a uh, what's called a passage, which is just a card that keeps tracks of track of your wins and losses, and uh, you play games of three on three. Uh, to a score of five. So the first person to win five total rounds wins the match. And it's three on three elimination. So once you die, you're dead unless a teammate revives you. And it has been the closest feeling to, I remember watching the end of the whiz, right? (laughs) The super Mario brothers three tournament when I was a kid and yeah. being like really jazzed, right? It's like, right. man, this is crazy. It's like the first time you're seeing Super Mario Brothers and it's like really intense. 
And I think that's the closest thing I can equate it to because it just is like it has it has been simultaneously the best and worst I think video game experience I've had, right? <laughs> it, just in terms of like pure competition. Because you know, when you win it's great and when you lose it's absolutely devastating. And I think it was on I want to say it was either um Jalen Rose's podcast or maybe um Blake Griffin on the Champs on one of the Champs episodes that he did where I think it's the Champs where he's talking about how winning feels good but it doesn't feel as good as losing feels bad you know what I mean right like losing always feels worse than winning feels good you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of, that's what it made me think of. Cause like when you lose and, and so the, the big incentive is you want to go nine and oh, so you can get to the, um, elite level that only people who go nine and oh can get to that's been created just for them. And you get special rewards and all this stuff. So I spend all f- the first weekend trying to do this, right? And I don't get a lot of play time. So it's like I get to play when the girls are napping for two hours. And um, depending on what Julia is doing, I will play at night. First weekend, I don't get there. So this is two weeks ago. And this is this is one of the major reasons why we didn't record last week. <laughs> because I wanted to keep playing. But also, you know, I had a long week and I was tired. And it was Memorial Day. Was mem- you should have just said Memorial we, And we did a lot. We respect holidays. Yeah. <laughs> so anyways, so on Memorial Day, I'm playing, right? It's 9 o'clock. The girls go to bed. I still have not gone 9 and 0. The closest I've gone is 8 and 2, and I did that twice. It's 9 o'clock. You know, I play by myself because nobody on my friends list plays Destiny. So I'm constantly looking for groups to join, and that is always a disaster. Always. So I'm I'm in one group and we lose right away or we lose after two or three games. And so but I'm I'm usually playing with people who are like, man, I just want to get to five wins because there's tiered rewards and like at five you get a certain thing. So I, for most of the night, I just end up basically helping people get to like five or six wins. Because most of the people I'm playing with are either terrible or they don't listen to you or they don't communicate. So then finally at I'll say like 1230 I find this group on reddit or wherever and we're doing really good and the guys are good we're communicating really well we're at like four or five wins no losses we start either our fifth or sixth game and up to this point like nothing's been even close right we've been doing really good so we start the game and for some reason my microphone starts buzzing like crazy and I can hear it And the guys that I'm playing with are like, you know, Blizz, your microphone is making a really crazy noise. Um, So I unplug it and plug it back in real quick. Doesn't work. And I have to be able to hear them, right? Because Mm -hmm. we're doing call-ups and all this stuff. I unplug the adapter, plug the adapter back into the controller. Still doesn't fix anything. And they're like, you know what? Don't worry about it. We'll we'll take care of it after this match is over, blah, blah, blah. We're up like 3-1 or whatever. And so because we're up, I decide on this next round, I'm going to sit in the corner for a minute. I'm going to turn my controller off real quick and turn it back on and see if that takes care of the the noise. Right. 
the round starts. I go and I sit in the corner. I hold the Xbox button down. I press up and I hit A immediately. And my entire console turns off. (laughs) Which, as soon as you disconnect, that counts as a loss, right? Not only do I lose the party I was with, if you disconnect, you immediately get charged with a loss. And so I sat there for probably... It's like 1.30 in the morning at this point. There's no way I can start again because I have to go to work the next day. And I'm completely exhausted. <laughs> I just like stared at my TV in the living room in complete darkness for like five minutes. I was unable to move. I could not believe what I had just done and how stupid I was for doing oh. it. So anyways, this past weekend... Um, I found a group and we did fine. And I got to 9-0. and 0. It was like a breeze. It wasn't even a challenge, really. <laughs> but it's been it's been super fun so far. Your your name is now sullied for all time <laughs> with those people. Does that oh, make you absolutely. feel bad no, at all? No, I felt terrible. Does that make I you felt feel- terrible. And because I found them on Reddit, mm-hmm. I kept expecting to see a post in the Destiny subreddit to be like, this douchebag yeah. disconnected on our perfect game and ruined everything, and then we lost it. But nothing ever came of it. Mm. So that's you know, if you if you're playing Destiny and listening to this, and you need somebody for trials, send me a the invite, and I'll play. I'm, I'm I do pretty good, but that's the thing about trials. Like you have to be willing to talk to the other people on your team. If you're not talking and you're not listening and you're not working together you don't stand a chance. And it's like, it's, it is super high level nerdy video gaming. Right. But it is so much fun. (laughs) And it's like, it's so embarrassing that I can't do it when my wife is around because I feel like a loser, (laughs) but while I'm actually doing it, it's great. It's great. Yeah. Well, do you want to know something that, uh, I can't do with my wife around now? What's that? (laughs) Listen to Katie Oh, yeah. So uh, is that so we're going on the pronunciation of this band's name is Katiana, Katiana. Yeah, Katiana, I guess it's C-A-T-E-Y-A-N-A. Mm. So Kate Yana, Kate, Katiana, Katiana. <clears throat> anyway, I found them actually because you recommended Sheer Mag. Uh-huh. A while ago. And Sheer Mag is from Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. And somebody was writing up, doing a write-up. I can't remember where. I think I was reading about Sheer Mag. And they were like, you know, Sheer Mag is fitting in with a lot of other Philadelphia acts. Like, and they mentioned Kidiana and some other ones. And another band that I listened to, I didn't really like them. This other band that I listened to, I didn't really like them. Mm-hmm. And I listened to them on their band camp. Um site and i was like oh man i really like this uh, and despite your uh despite knowing you shouldn't like it well no that's the thing i i'm proud to say that i like this kind of music it's okay. it's like sheer mag joyce manor katiana um joyce manor you're pushing it with no that. joyce manor is awesome Joyce Manor is amazing. And what it is, is it's <laughs> modern iterations of what we used to listen to in college. Like, it's just tweaking the formula a little bit. And it's creating this new sound out of that old, you know, yeah. sound that I, 
that I really, really like, not liked. I do like it. And so um, they are like, it's a girl kind of punk pop Mm -hmm. kind of thing. Um, And they have a song called Scott Get the Van I'm Moving Mm -hmm. that I really, really, really like. Really like it. Right. And um, I was I was really wanting to listen to it. And Elise, I think we just finished watching a TV show. And I was like, I'm going to play a song because I really want to hear it. But you will not be in the room in 15 seconds. And uh, I played it. And about five seconds later, she was like, okay, I'm out of here. I'm going to bed. <laughs> and I was left to kind of shimmy and dance on my own on the couch. <laughs> well, they're not on Spotify, so <laughs> No, they they are I mean it's it's total a local act. And and that's the other thing. Like you're talking about that feeling that playing Destiny gave you, like watching the end of the Wiz. Uh-huh. <clears throat> the closest I can um the the, the closest I can can my feeling to listening to them on their band camp was being in college and searching and finding new music. Mm. Like I was there for CDs. Like, you know, our parents, they were like going to the vinyl store and like looking through like that feeling of exploration. And now it's online. Mm. Like I used to go to a store and like, Oh my goodness. What, Am I going to find at Best Buy? Like, this mm-hmm. is awesome. And um, and now I haven't experienced that in a long time. I've kind of clued into, you know, some people I like and new bands come along, but it's always in that same milieu. But this is a local bit. Like, there's no way that I would have ever heard of these people mm-hmm. if not for this article that I read. So, yeah, it's not Spotify. It's not, like, linked to anything. It's just I like Sheer Mag. And they were dropped in an article with them. You would hate it. You would okay. hate. Well, it is on YouTube. <laughs> are you Are you going to play? It? You want to try and convey? You do a live listen. It, I mean, is it the actual song? It's not a live performance of them doing Sk- it. Scott, get the van. I'm moving. Official music video. Well, there. Well, here it goes. I give it 15 seconds. And there it is. Cool buffering. It's fine. It's not terrible. I mean, it's no Joyce Manor. Don't get me wrong. It's not. (laughs) It's not. Joyce Manor is amazing. Joyce Manor is like... Uh, makes me want to rip the skin off my body. You've listened to 10 <laughs> seconds of a song through a phone <laughs> in the middle of a loud kind of party. Um, moving on. Uh, I wanted to talk quickly about Mystery Show, the podcast. Okay. Did you listen to the second episode? Yeah. So you told me about this, about the podcast, and I said to you... I wasn't that impressed with the first one, so I'm going to give the second episode a listen 
to really solidify my opinion. And you said you were doing the same thing. John Ronson says the first two episodes of Mystery Show are the best audio really? content he's ever heard. See, now I really like John Ronson, but I almost completely disagree with him on that. Um, the first episode, like I said to you, I thought was, you know, I mean, going into it, the whole... I thought the whole impetus behind Gimlet Media and um, is his name Alex something mm-hmm. leaving This American Life was to do something different or to work with podcasts. But from what I've seen from Reply All and at least the first episode of Mystery Show, it is very much standard fair NPR shows that could be played on morning edition or whatever the NPR schedule is. You know what I mean? So, and I don't feel like this. Now, I did like the second episode a lot more than the first one. Mm-hmm. Um, But I think that's was more for a minor point that the episode touches on than the episode as a whole. I feel like the, the so the second one is all about Um, this author who wrote a book that nobody read, but then the book turned up in one of, in like a famous Britney Spears photo, uh, like crisis photo, right? Like during her crisis time or moment or whatever, she was carrying this book around and the whole, the whole plot of the story is to figure out why she had this book that did terribly Critically, didn't sell any. Why of all people does Britney is Britney Spears reading this? That I didn't find that compelling. Be, first of all, because you know the answer is not going to be satisfying, and right. you know the answer is going to be as political as possible, especially if they're getting it from Britney Spears herself. Um, but what I found the most interesting about it was the. Um, the moment, I guess, maybe towards the middle of the podcast where she's talking to the, I guess he's like a handler or whoever he is. And she starts basically interviewing him and he's talking about his life and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And then she says something along the lines of like, she somehow references like how everybody has their own stories or something like that. And that's always been an interesting uh, idea to me, right? Like Paul Oster explores that idea a lot. The Brooklyn Follies is kind of about that. His book, The Brooklyn Follies, is kind of about that idea. And that is what I feel like as a entertainment medium. That's what I feel like. That's how I feel podcasting is different from every other medium, right? Is that it? it's allowing... Anybody who has the ability to speak or form an opinion or just speak and record it, right, to to make a podcast. And that's not, you know, it's allowing us to have a conversation and share that conversation with whoever wants to listen to it. And that's not something that you're going to find in any television show or on any news channel, right? It's all just people yelling at each other basically. Mm-hmm. Um, but that ultimately is not what the show is about. That was just one moment in it. And even then the episode itself, I felt like the only thing that differentiates that episode from like something that would be on NPR is that nobody at NPR would authorize her to spend $2,500 to talk to Britney Spears for 15 seconds. 
Right. You know what I mean? Right. So it's kind of like. It, ma- it makes me think about the viability of podcasting, though, on that level. That, yeah, when she was like, when she said the money that she's spending, I was like, goodness, what's their operating budget? Yeah. Yeah. That that was, that. that's for, I mean, and I, I imagine the rest of the episodes probably aren't that expensive to make, especially the first one. I mean, she's just walking hmm. around asking people questions, basically. Yeah. Well, I felt like the first one was like their test one that they, because it's basically like, hey, look at this friendship I have with this other lady yeah like that's basically it oh you rented a video and so i feel like that that was clearly their like probably promotional episode where they're like see what we could do yeah and yeah i i don't know but i mean like reply all there's an episode of reply all where they like flew to austin and interviewed somebody too and i'm like they're based in new york like yeah just for like a little segment yeah so how do you feel about mystery show are you going to keep listening to it yeah i'm going to keep listening to it i mean like you said i think i think what makes this american life interesting and shows like that are the personalities Mm -hmm. they really go into you know like they have their staple of people that they go to and they usually pick interesting people i want to know more about and with mystery show what i like is she's actively trying to engage people as she goes along in her mystery. So you get the scene of her talking to the uh, Ticketmaster rep, which I thought was really good, where mm-hmm. she just kind of gets him to open up about himself. Yeah. And, you know, that was really interesting. Like you said, I'm not interested in the Britney Spears stuff either because, of course, they're not going to say anything, like, real, quote-unquote, about Britney Spears because they don't want it to come off as being, like, a, an attack piece on Britney right. Spears. So... Anytime she's brought up, everybody loves her. Mm-hmm. I mean, you would think if you didn't know Britney Spears and you listen to Mystery Show, you're like, oh, this is one of the most beloved artists mm-hmm. in America. Right. And then if you read one article, you'd go, oh, this is a very troubled woman. Right. You know what I mean? And so the fact that they make Britney Spears seem like Princess Diana or whatever yeah. is like, okay, guys, not interested. Yeah. Um, but the fact that she was doing interesting things around that. Last episode, I recommended Gold Vision, right? Yeah. And I recommended the Grand Theft Auto Pacifist. So you you watched all of them? Oh, yeah. They're great, right? Has a new one been uploaded? Mm -mm. I really need him to do that. (laughs) Yeah, they've been pretty, they've been, like, I think he started in 2013. Yeah. And there's only been six or seven so far. So they're pretty they're spaced out pretty far between each other. Well, I mean, and look, if they're at the quality that these are at, yeah, keep, but they're keep great. Going, they are great. Yeah, and I mean, he's super I, funny. Yeah, he's super funny, and like you said, the writing is brilliant. Yeah, because it's just so dry and kind exactly. of exactly. There's so many like kind of thrown off observations or whatever, and his editing, like in Grand Theft Auto. 
when he's walking by people and they're like cursing and each they're other trying out. to run him over or something or run him over yeah. or whatever. But then he'll like pause and come right. back to listen to the, and the way that he summarizes his interaction yeah. in the game, it's just, it's really smart. It's yeah. really great. I just want to know what he does. Right. Yeah. But he, well, he does, and he does a lot of, um, you know, you said you watched, I think one of the planet side ones, he yeah. does a lot of different I've, videos. He doesn't just do right. Grand Theft Auto stuff. They're, They're all kind games. of around the same. He's taking some kind of philosophical approach right. usually to it. Or. Yeah. He, so he tries to do a lot of, um, one, it's called like one life or something like that mm-hmm. where he just takes one character and tries to keep that character for alive as long as possible. So like in the plant side one, it's like a first person shooter. You know what I mean? It's like, you're basically supposed to go in there and die and respawn every eight seconds. <laughs> He's trying to keep this guy alive <laughs> as long as possible. Right. Um, yeah. So gold vision on YouTube. If you just search for gold, Vi- uh, there'll be links, but if you just search for gold vision, you'll find it. It's great. Uh, so what is your recommendation? Uh, I'm going to recommend other space Okay. on Yahoo screen. Okay. It's the comedy show by Paul Feig. Oh, okay. And it's a sci-fi kind of what would happen if you put some dumb people up in space. So it's a kind of show. television show basically. Yep. How is the, does it like look good? Yeah, it, it doesn't, doesn't it doesn't look, look like bad. A, I mean, you know, it's on Yahoo screen. Right. Uh, but I mean, it's with community. It's like uh-huh. Yahoo is basically launching on community and other space and they're like this is going to launch right. our launch our channel. Paul Feig has been doing a lot of stuff. Which is why I want to recommend it too because Spy is coming out I think this month. Uh-huh. Which is Paul Feig and Melissa McCarthy. Uh-huh. And Rose Byrne. You're not interested in seeing Spy, are you? Why wouldn't I be? Because it looks terrible. I just watched The Heat. Yeah. By Paul Feig. Which I'm sure is terrible. It's not good. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm interested in Paul Feig. Yeah, no, so am I. So, I mean, and this is, and, and somebody said, like, this is the first actual kind of collaboration with Melissa McCarthy where he got to write it. So, th- so Spy is more Paul Feig's vision than anything that's come before and therefore like dude i watched his drama about a boy life of david like i watched life of david if i watch life of david i can watch spy paul feig gets a free pass from me for life because of freaks and geeks and arrested development which he was involved in pretty heavily yeah but that does not mean I have to or will watch any of the movies he makes. You don't have to do besides anything. Besides Bridesmaids. Until I recommend Spy. Okay. Good luck. And you have to come see it with me. Like you have to watch it first. I'll watch Spy. Okay. Uh, well, you've been listening to Everything is Interesting. Uh, my name is Justin. Except for Spy, apparently. Right. Uh, I'm here with Keith. That's Keith. Um, the guy who likes terrible Paul Feig movies, at least likes to watch them for some reason. Um, to follow up on last episodes, uh, I don't even know, like public service announcement. So last episode, I made a big deal of saying everything you need is in the show notes. Turns out everything is not in the show notes (laughs) because I use a third pod, a third party podcast app. 
that actually pulls from the direct RSS feed. So when I'm looking at my episode list, it all looks good. It all looks. I'm seeing all of the information that I put in on the website comes up in my show notes. So I'm seeing timestamps. I'm seeing links to everything, but I the this last week I looked up the show in the actual iPhone podcast app, the Apple podcast app, and it. All it includes is a very brief description of the show. It doesn't include any links, any timestamps, anything like that. So if you're interested in those things, you'll have to go to the website, which is something else I have changed. I saw it. It looks nice. Thank you. We are no longer at brownbluewhite. Brownbluewhite.com is no more. Okay? It is now eipodcast.com. You go there. It'll have everything. Like I said, it'll have... Links to all the stuff we've talked about, timestamps, and a pie chart showing the percentage I saw that. Time. of the things we talked about, which is just like demonstrates how much free time I have at work, basically. Um, so if you want to read that stuff and you're using the Apple podcast app, you'll have to go to the website or... You can use a third-party podcast app. I use one called Castro that I like a lot, although it co- but it costs money, so that's a turnoff for some people. Um, if you're not interested in those things, don't worry about it. But I think, other than that, that's all I've got. Um, we took a bit of a break. Like I said, we took a break last week just because I was tired, and uh, it was kind of a long weekend. It was Memorial Day, and we did a lot. But we will be back next week talking about who knows. Who knows? We don't know yet. Um, so we'll see you next week.